0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. She was born Araminta Harriet Ross around 1820 in Dorchester County, Maryland. Uh, She lived a life of struggle, Uh, a strong, fantastic woman. Uh, At 12 years old, she was literally pushed out into the field uh, to to be a slave. And as she was pushed out into that field, life was hard, working uh, as a field slave in Dorchester County, Maryland. Uh, Around her teenage years, somewhere 13, 14, or 15, uh, a slave master took a large chunk of metal and in his aim of throwing it at another uh, slave, he actually hit her in the back of her head. And it would cause her for the rest of her life to have severe headaches, to have epilepsy. And she would even have these visions. And she saw these visions as God speaking to her. This was a tough woman. And so uh, at 1849, she decided enough is enough. She packed her bags and she took off. She escaped the plantation. She headed north. And it just began to burden her heart that she left behind so many of those that she had built relationships with. Her her family members, she had left behind on the plantation. So the woman we know as Harriet Tubman would then begin to go back and forth from north to south to rescue slaves she went back to get her two brothers and her sister and her sister's two children. And she also went back to get her husband, uh, John Tubman, but he had already taken another wife. And so she gathered more slaves up. She made numerous trips, rescuing hundreds of people back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the story goes that there was one time where she was in the woods and uh, a couple of the slaves were getting nervous because they thought that they would get caught by the slave master. And so she pulled out this old rusty gun and she encouraged them to press forward and let them know that they were not going to stop. She gave marching orders. History tells us that, uh, Harriet Tubman was not just involved in, in freeing slaves on the Underground Railroad, but Harriet Tubman also was involved in the women's, the fight for suffrage, women's suffrage. Uh, she was involved with Susan B. Jordan, uh, and she fought for the right for women to have the ability uh, to, to, to vote. Uh, she also was a part of helping the Union soldiers learn how to attack the Confederate soldiers the best way, because she knew the woods. She knew the landscape. Here is a black woman in the nineteenth century giving marching orders. She gave marching orders, and you know what? When she talked, people listened. When Harriet Tubman gave instructions, people listened. Why would they listen to her Because it was life and death. Uh, her word was bond and, and she would she would communicate things that would that could free people. She would communicate things that could change their very lives. And people, listen. She gave marching orders. And when we come to our text this morning, that's exactly what we're going to see. Jesus gives us marching orders. Jesus commands us with the great commission. He gives us marching orders that may mean life and death for somebody. And Jesus isn't asking us when we get around to it. Jesus is commanding that we would listen, that His mission and His purpose may go forth in the world. That His mission and His purpose may go forth in cities. That His mission and His purpose may go forth in downtown church. Jesus gives marching orders in the Great Commission. And we're going to peruse through these marching orders that Jesus gives. But we're going to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that Jesus has the right to give marching orders. And we'll see that Jesus gives methodology In his marching orders. And lastly, we'll see that Jesus gives assurance with his marching orders. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for that love that we so sang about this morning. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your unending, unfailing mercy. And your unending and your unfailing grace upon us. That's new and fresh for us this morning. Thank you, Father. Father, would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes, God, that we may hear from you? That we may receive your word and that we may latch onto it and that we may be not only hearers, God, but doers of your word. Help us, God. Convict our hearts. Change us that we may be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. The last several weeks, we've, we've been in this discipleship series that we've titled, Poured In, Poured Out. And what we've done is we've spent the last couple weeks uh, really just talking about the anatomy of a disciple. And we've said that the disciple, that a disciple is a learner. That a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. We've said that a disciple is called by Jesus. And that a disciple doesn't have it all together, but a disciple is a work in progress. The Apostle Paul was the one who said, uh, I want to know Christ. A disciple is one who longs to know Jesus Christ. One who is, is willing to walk with Jesus even in the hard times, a disciple presses forward, as we've seen a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we, we've now began to turn the corner a bit, and we need to give the foundation for our text this morning. Uh, Matthew's gospel is addressed, get this, to Jewish Christians. And our text sits within this biography of Jesus from Matthew's point of view. And a part of Jesus' life was his ministry to people. And the disciples got an inside look into Jesus' ministry with people. They were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when his face was bright and his clothes were pure white. They were with Jesus in in his best moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the disciples also were with Jesus in His worst moment. They were with Him in the Garden of Gethsemane when when Jesus is anticipating what is to come and all that God was asking for Him. They were right there with them as Jesus is sweating blood and begging them to stay awake and pray. Uh, Jesus is walking with His disciples. He's living life with them and they're watching Jesus as he moves they're watching Jesus as he teaches they're they're watching Jesus as he's as he moves about his life but Jesus is preparing for what's coming, and He is preparing His disciples in the same respect. Directly before our passage, we see the story of the resurrection. Uh, Mary Magdalene and Jesus' mother are there, and, and they get to uh, the tomb, and the tomb, uh, the, the angel of the Lord comes down. There's this huge earthquake, and the angel of the Lord pushes away this tomb and, and literally just kind of posts up on this rock that's that's in front of the tomb. And they're shocked by what's happening. And, and, and the angel of the Lord points the Marys in the right direction. And when they come upon Jesus, they fall down and they worship Him. They grab hold of His feet and, and, and they begin to worship Jesus. These women who saw Jesus after His resurrection, they see Him and they fall down and they worship Him. The Marys go and tell the disciples and the disciples, some of them believe and some of them are a bit doubtful. And and this is incredibly crazy for me, that the Bible says that when some of the disciples saw Jesus after he is resurrected, some of them believed and some of them doubted. Here are guys who lived a life with Jesus. Here, here are guys who saw Him. And here are guys who learned with Him. He, they saw Him feed the 5,000. They, they they saw Jesus working in His ministry. And yet they still struggled with doubt. And I'd like to say to us this morning, how much more do you think there's room for you and I to struggle with doubt? If ones who had walked, and lived and journeyed with Jesus, they saw some believed and some doubted. I got to tell you that there's going to be some of us who doubt. There's going to be some of us who face doubt and struggle with doubt, and yet we press, we press, we press, we press forward. Jesus sees His disciples and the ones who believe even them, along with Mary, uh, the, the Marys, they, they, they worship him. But one of the first ideas here, what, one of the things we need to see is that Jesus has the right to give marching orders. Look at verse 18 with me. It says this, Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is not new authority. Jesus is literally pulling from a passage from Daniel chapter 7. Speaking of the Son of Man, Daniel says this, And to him who was given dominion and glory and and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, in so many words, is appealing to Jewish Christians, but He's also reminding His disciples that His authority is not new. That the platform that Jesus stands upon is not new. The right and the power and the might that Jesus has is not a new dominion or a new power. He's reminding them of this prophecy from long ago, which tells us that whatever Jesus is about is extremely important. The disciples are familiar. They're extremely familiar with Jesus' authority, but they need to be reminded. They were there when, when Jesus fed the 5,000. They were there when Jesus made the lame walk. They were there when Jesus gave sight to the blind. Uh, they were there when, when Lazarus uh, woke up from the dead, from the word of Jesus. Uh, they were there. And so this authority that Jesus is claiming is not some new authority, but Jesus has to remind them. He reminds the disciples of His authority, and I want to tell you this morning that you and I need to be reminded of the authority of Jesus. We need to be reminded who is in control, because it's so easy for us to live in uh, for one who for somebody else who is claiming authority. It is so easy for the things of this world and the things of this life to captivate our attention as if those things have authority. And Jesus is reminding us, no, no, no. There's only one who has authority. There's only one who has all power. There's only one who has perfect dominion. Jesus is giving marching orders. Um... I had to remix some things after watching the lo- the news last night, uh, and I saw that uh, justice supreme Court Justice antonin uh, St- uh, Scalia passed away and it kind of broke my heart and, and it really doesn't matter what you believe about uh his decisions and his supreme court uh briefs and what the things that he's made uh, decisions about uh but I remember being in college and and uh, I got to see uh Justice Scalia uh speak live and um Man, I, I didn't know what to expect. I was always interested in law, and uh, so I went, and, and I was kind of excited, but I really didn't know what to expect. I'm thinking, man, this is an old dude. This is uh, a Supreme Court justice. He's probably going to bore me to sleep, and this dude was vibrant. I mean, he was engaging, and, and I'll never forget uh, his uh, his presence as he spoke about the Constitution and, and his his original perspective on the Constitution. Um, but here is a guy who was a part of the highest court in the land. A part of the highest court in the land. And so what this means is that uh, there's no state court that can trump the Supreme Court. Uh, th- there's no federal court of appeals that can trump the Supreme Court. So what this means is when the Supreme Court decides that they want to hear a case and they make a decision upon that case, it's final. What the Supreme Court says goes and and no state court or no federal court can do anything about it. See, they've got supreme authority. And I think what we see in this text is Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. And what Jesus is doing is he over and over does this throughout the book of Matthew. But what he's doing is he's saying, I am not just a man, but I'm God. All authority has been given to me. So what this means for us is that when Jesus dies, he is the perfect atonement that we need. Uh, when Jesus is buried, he's the perfect atonement to be buried. And when Jesus raises again from the grave, he's the perfect one to raise again from the grave. To kill, to, to, to kill death, to trump shame, to trump fear and death. He's the perfect one because he has all power. Then the question becomes, do we live as if Jesus has authority? Do we live our lives as if Jesus has all authority? Do we do we walk in our marriages and do we handle conflict in our marriages and in our relationships as if Jesus has all authority? Do we parent our children as if Jesus has all authority? Do you work in that classroom as if Jesus has authority? And what Jesus is saying is, all authority belongs to me. I'm the strong one. You ought to look to me. Secondly, we've got to see that Jesus gives methodology in marching orders. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. The Bible says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you need to know that within the Great Commission there is only one commandment. There's only, in, in these verses that we're studying, there's only one imperative. And that command is to make disciples. And I love this because here Jesus is giving us the, the, the marching orders, but He's also laying out a plan. He, he's laying out the plan on, on how we are to do these things. And the perfect example is Jesus' very own life. He, He grabbed hold of these 12 ragtag dudes and he said, you know what, follow me, do as I do, live as I live. And he also had this inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And he said to them, follow me, do as I do, live as I live. And he pulled them along in the faith. And here Jesus is modeling before us in all of the Gospels what making disciples looks like. And Jesus tells his disciples, and this is extremely important, because here is a guy who's about to ascend to the right hand of his Father, and he is giving them his last words. So imagine uh, one uh, who is on death row. And you can say, yeah, this breaks down, but imagine one who is on death row. And he's about to get his last meal. And he orders a steak, or he orders a hamburger. He's been on death row for decades, and, and all of a sudden they ask him, do you have any final words? Don't you, don't you think folks will listen to see what he says? And here is Jesus. He has been walking and talking with His disciples. He's been doing ministry before them that they may listen and that they may hear and and latch on to this methodology that He's been giving them. And He's giving them His last words before He ascends into heaven. And He says, not only do I have all authority, Not only do I have the right to give you these instructions, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Make disciples. And what you and I can see this as is this is Jesus' plan. This is Jesus' blueprint. This is Jesus' plan for moving forth the mission and the move of God that people may come to saving faith in Jesus and that you and I may be a part of that, that we may initiate toward others and that we may be a part of seeing their eyes open and that God would use us in that way that we might not leave them just like that. But what Jesus is saying is I want to see you be a part of their conversion, but also walking them and learning with them and pulling them along in the faith. He's saying, I want you to make some disciples. And hear me when I say, this command, make disciples, takes work. This is not something that just happens. Disciples are not born, but they are made. And Jesus is calling His disciples to be a part of this process that He has literally just taken them through. And what He is saying when He commands them to make disciples, Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you, I'm not telling you when you get around to it, when you have room in your schedule. I'm telling you, I command you to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is this is how the church will grow. This is how the mission will move forward. This is how the move of God will take hold of cities. It's through multiplication through you and I. And the reason you and I know about Jesus, the reason that we're even here this morning, is because the disciples of Jesus were obedient to take the Great Commission and to latch on to it and to multiply what God had given them into others. And we need to be challenged with this. That all that we've been poured into would not stop with us but that it would move forward and that we would give it away to others and give it away to others that the gospel message may be multiplied in others and that we may pull them along as messy as it may be, as hard as it may be, that we may pull them along in the faith. It says make disciples of Jesus Christ. How are we to make disciples? We are to make disciples as we go, as we go on our regular lives. Jesus says, as you are going, I command you to make disciples. How are we to make disciples? We are to make disciples by baptizing. And you need to know that baptism in antiquity was extremely important because baptism was this declaration of what had happened. Whether it was what had happened in your family or what had happened to you personally. Baptism was this declaration to the masses that something has happened to me. And Jesus says this is a part of how you make disciples. How are we to make disciples? To make disciples of Jesus, it is to initiate or to instruct in the teachings of of Jesus. So we actually need to teach some things. What are we to teach? The question becomes. We are to teach everything that He has commanded us. We're to teach the book. We're to teach the Word of God. And how can we teach the Word of God if we have not hidden the Word of God in our hearts? And this is what Jesus is saying. That you and I may be convicted, that you and I may latch on to this truth That we may run to the scriptures and that we may soak it in and give it away to others. Because so many of us have soaked in, but we've neglected to give it away. So many of us have read the institutes and we've read systematic theology and we've read all this stuff and we've neglected to give it away. And we've missed the great commission. We haven't been obedient to what God has commanded us. And Jesus says, this is how my mission moves forward. Through pulling others along in the faith. As you live about your regular life. That you may take all that has been poured into you. That you may take all that you've learned and all that you've seen and all that you've experienced. That you may take the word of God, the commands of God and give it away to other people. Well, I, I, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know enough. I, don't, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know enough. I, I dare I say to you that everybody ought to be involved in the discipleship process. And my longing for our church is that God would create this culture of disciple making that we may be obedient to the call of God. That it's no longer weird for somebody that's a little far behind in the faith to come up to somebody that's a little further ahead and, and to say, can you walk with me? Can can I live life with you? Can you pull me along in the faith? That shouldn't be weird in a church. That it's no longer weird for somebody that's more mature in the faith to go to somebody else and say, Hey, can I just spend time with you? Can I pull you along? Can I encourage you in the Lord? That shouldn't be weird in the church. This ought to be our culture. That you and I have eyes to see what Jesus has commanded in the Great Commission. And that we may give it away. That we may give it away. And that we may give it away to others. It's through obedience that we can make disciples. Jesus confidently commands, make disciples because He is risen. I want to tell you this morning that the the resurrection makes the difference. Because Jesus is risen, we have a fulfilling message to give away to the masses. Because Jesus is risen, you and I can have hope that sin and death and shame has been conquered and finished. Because Jesus has resurrected from the grave, we can move forward with boldness and confidence to make disciples that we may be obedient to the call of God because He's risen because He is not still dead, because He is alive and well, you and I can be obedient to make disciples and to take all that's been given to us and to give it away, to give it away, and to give it away. Because Jesus is risen. In the same way that Harriet Tubman had freedom on her heart, Jesus has freedom on His heart. Jesus says, if you would be faithful to make disciples as I have called you to be, people will be free. People will experience freedom through making disciples as you engage, as you initiate toward others. And and God, by His Spirit, enlightens their heart and gives them understanding. And He's using you to sow seeds of the gospel. And when the lights come on, you are right there to pull them along in the faith. That's freedom. And what Jesus is offering through discipleship is real freedom. Because people all over our city, they are looking for freedom and they are looking to find it in sex and they will always find themselves empty. There are people in our city who are looking for freedom and, and they look to find it in the bottom of an alcohol glass and, and, and they, it will always leave them empty. But what Jesus is offering is life. Jesus is offering true freedom. He's offering His self, Himself as a sacrifice. He's offering Himself, His death, His burial, and His resurrection that you and I may trust in that message and have real hope. That you and I may trust in that message and have real life. That we may trust in that message and have real faith. Do you know that every building has blueprints? Every building has building plans. So if, if, if you were to walk into somebody's house, they've got these plans, uh, and, and maybe they don't have them on them, but every building has plans. They, they, they've got blueprints. Uh, no builder can go and begin to build a house or begin to build a building without blueprints. It's just not possible. They need to know where where the framing goes. They need to know where the studs go. They need to know, how am I to build this structure in a safe way? And that's what the plans are. The, The plans direct them. The plans lead them. The plans kind of push them in the right direction because they cannot afford to make a mistake. And what Jesus gives us in the Great Commission, He gives us blueprints. He gives us plans. And He outlines for us how the mission of God would move forward. He outlines for us how we are to multiply ourselves into others. That the gospel would spread like wildflowers. He gives us blueprints. And i got to ask you, have you taken hold of these? Have you looked at the blueprints of Jesus and really taken hold of the blueprint that Jesus has laid out for us? Are you walking in obedience that we may say yes to the call of God and yes to making disciples? Lastly, and we're going to be quick, we need to see that Jesus gives assurance with his marching orders. Look at the end of verse 20 with me. Jesus says, behold, I am with you. Always, to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Here we see Jesus affirming the disciples. Letting them know that they will never be alone. Being faithful to discipleship is hard. Engaging somebody and and entering into the messiness of life is hard. Uh, Pulling somebody along in the faith is hard. And yet Jesus reassures us that he will always be with us. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. Uh, uh, Being fearful in discipleship is something that many of us will deal with. I don't know enough. We've got a lot of questions. I cannot pull. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I have not left you to your own devices. I I am with you. Figuring out how to create a new normal for my family. Figuring out what discipleship means in the context of as we go in our marriage. What does that mean? Uh, All these tough questions, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not leaving you to figure this out on your own. I am going to be with you. Jesus can also say, I'll be with you because Jesus knows who He's sending. Jesus knows that He is not leaving them alone, but He's sending a comforter in the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that He is not just going to ascend into the right hand of the Father for them to be left to their own devices, but Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit. So He can confidently say, I'm not leaving you alone, but I will always be with you because He knows that the Holy Spirit will, will lead and the Holy Spirit will guide and the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and the Holy Spirit will challenge you and remind you of truth and the Holy Spirit will give you words when you don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit will be there for us. And Jesus knows this. He knows that even in the hard times, I will always be with you. I have not left you to your own devices. I'm going to be with you. I'm sending you a comforter in the Holy Spirit. And in so many words, Jesus is saying, I got your back. I'm going to be with you. Uh, Y'all know that I grew up in a large family, and uh, it's so crazy to me because I grew up in a tough neighborhood back in St. Louis. And uh, I was watching the news the other day, and uh, they said that the the new statistics came out, and the two most dangerous cities uh, in the country, St. Louis number one, and Memphis number two. I'm like, dang, I can't win! I'm like, my goodness! And, and, and so, uh, I, I, I grew up in a tough neighborhood and, and, uh, you know what, but it, it, it was home to me. It, it, it's my home. You know, my mother still lives in the neighborhood. And I just remember we played everything growing up. Basketball, football, court ball. Uh, court ball, if you don't know, you get some tennis balls, you get a broomstick. We didn't have bats. We couldn't afford bats, but we just, we had a little tennis ball uh, with the broomstick. We played, you know, catch a girl, get a girl. We, we I mean, we played everything. Um, but, you know, kids will be kids. So there will always be confrontation even in the midst of playing. But it was so crazy to me because there were very few times that I was actually afraid. Not because I thought so big of myself. But because I knew that at home, I had three sisters and a brother. And I knew that they knew I had three sisters and a brother. So if you mess with me, you got to deal with all of them. And here I am, the youngest, so they always had my back. They always looked out for me. They always protected me. They always had my back. And this is what Jesus is saying, saying, I'm not leaving you alone. I've always got your back. I'm not leaving you to your own devices, but I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So you are free To go make mistakes. You are free to make disciples. You are free to multiply yourselves into others. You are free to take all that God has poured into you and to give it away. To give it away and to give it away. Let's pray together. Father. Would you help us? Lord, we want to be the kind of church that is obedient to the Great Commission. We want to be the kind of individuals who are obedient to the Great Commission, God. So would you help us? Lord, would you convict us of laziness? Would you convict us, God, of unfaithfulness? Would you convict us of crippling fear, God? Would you make us bold and would you send us out that in our church, in our city, that the church would rise up and multiply themselves into others that your gospel may move forward with power. God, You've said that You will be with us. You've said that You'll never leave us nor forsake us, God. you said that You would send Your Holy Spirit and we thank You. We pray that You would rest, rule, and abide among us. And I pray, God, that we would say yes to Your command of the Great Commission, that we would say yes to making disciples, that we would say yes to multiplying ourselves into others. That we would say yes to making ourselves uncomfortable. That we would say yes. Now God we pray that you would bless these gifts and these offerings that we're about to receive. We pray God that we would be sacrificial givers. That we would be generous givers. Lord that you would use your church in Memphis, Tennessee and beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen.